Well, uh, today I am glad that you are with me and uh, watching from across the fruited plain as we are watching the Aliyah day, getting into this amazing tour portion on this anniversary of the first day of creation. Today is the 25th of Elul. It is the anniversary of God creating uh, the heavens and the earth on the first day. Today is the day, of course, in which God said, let there be light. And somebody asked on our page, uh, very intuitively, what light was he talking about? Because there was not any sun or star or moon yet. So we're not talking here about natural light. And of course, the answer is Torah, that, that Hashem's Torah, his scripture, the word of God, the law of God, uh, is the uh, the light, the primordial light of creation. And so I, I mentioned also in the comment there that uh, in ancient Jewish thought, uh, the Torah is referred to as the light of the world. Sound familiar? Of course it does, because Yeshua is the, uh, the also the light of the world, because Yeshua is the, the Torah manifest, and the Torah is God written down, and just so many other and sundry things. It's amazing. So we are in Parashah Nitzavim. If you have the Art Scroll of Chumash, we are in page 1091. The fourth Aliyah begins in chapter 30. It's uh, relatively short. It's verses 1 through 6. But we have lots of commentary, not just from this portion, but also uh, things that got left on the t table. The Left Behind series, as we call it. Uh, so, a couple of things right off the bat. Oops, sorry, I'm knocking stuff over here. Uh, a couple of things right off the bat. First of all, if you have not subscribed to our channel, please do so. Subscribe, click the little bell icon so that you can stay up to date on all of the amazing content that comes out. Uh, and be sure and uh, like this video and share it with your friends. Also want to make you aware that we have, of course... Uh, Rosh Hashanah service coming up on uh, Monday. This coming Monday is Rosh Hashanah. It starts, of course, Sunday night with the era of Rosh Hashanah. And so if you live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, then we want you to join us for Shabbat. We also want you to join us for Rosh Hashanah. If you don't live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, then we would like for you to join us online for our Rosh Hashanah service and our Shabbat services. We have a very large online community. And they are very much a part of our family, and we interact with uh, all of the precious people, the HCOs, as we call them, the Hardcore Onliners. That is their affectionate name of our brigade of people around the world. We have John, who's watching today. It's actually for him, it's nighttime, but he's watching all the way from India. And we have other people that watch uh, from Austria and uh, from other parts of the world, uh, Great Britain. If you're watching this now, or perhaps you're going to watch it uh, later on because you're in a different time zone, and you live outside the United States, uh, leave us a little comment. Let us know from where you are watching, so we can bless Hashem for all the beautiful people who watch from across the world. Uh, if you do not live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we have Rosh Hashanah services happening at Sar Shalom Synagogue in Tulsa. You can also be with uh, Community. If you live in Kansas City, we can put you in touch with our Lapid House in Kansas City. In Houston, Lower Hudson Valley, New York, uh, we have Lapidniks in Boston, we have Lapidniks in uh, Kentucky, we have Lapidniks in Florida, uh, Mobile, Alabama, uh, Alabama, 
And so if you live somewhere I haven't mentioned, let us know. I can't guarantee that there is a Lapid Nick or a Lapid uh, house in your area yet. That's right, Hashem, they'll be everywhere. Uh, but we'll at least uh, see what we can do to find you a happy home. If you would like to fly in and be a part of our community, we would love that too. It's really awesome here. It's a little hot, but it's getting better. Baruch Hashem. All right, to our reading, shall we? Let's do. Chapter 30. Uh, yeah, Stella's in the panhandle of Florida. See, we're everywhere. We have a lot of people scattered about Florida. We need y'all all to move to the same town. So y'all get together and decide what city you want to live in in Florida, and we'll make a Lipid community there. Sound like a plan? Fantastic. <laughs> Just chapter 30. I love Florida. Uh, chapter 30, uh, verse 1. It will be that when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse that I have presented before you, then you will take it to your heart among the nations where Adonai your God has dispersed you, and you'll return unto Adonai your God and listen to his voice according to everything I command you today, you and your children with all your heart and all your soul. Then Adonai your God will bring back your captivity and have mercy upon you, and he will return and gather you in from all the peoples to which Adonai your God has scattered you. If you're dispersed will be the ends of heaven, from there, Adonai your God will gather you in. From there, he will take you. Adonai your God will bring you to the land that your forefathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will do good to you and make you more numerous than your forefathers. Now that concludes the fourth reading, but I'm going to read the next verse, which is actually part of the fifth reading, because I want to comment on this very common uh, scripture uh, and, and, and try to bring some illumination to it and com, com clarity to it. So verse 6 says, Adonai your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Now, um, the uh, common theme among believers who don't yet realize that Torah is the path of Hashem, I want to say, first of all, uh, that Yeshua, many people, most people know, Yeshua was a Jew, right? That seems like it shouldn't be a phenomenal concept, but for many people it is. Um, but not only was he a Jewish person, but he was also, uh, he also kept and continues to keep the Jewish faith, the Jewish religion, a.k.a. Judaism. Yeshua was, in fact, a Pharisee, 100%, without question. It is a fact uh, that he was a Pharisee. There's no denying it. And in, and, and in fact, I'm, I'm actually, with God's help, Bezrat Hashem, my next video, God willing, that I'm going to do at Shalom Studios is going to be on that topic of Yeshua being a Pharisee. I'm going to get into the specifics of why I can make such an emphatic, unequivocal statement. Very important for us to know, for you to know, because it's going to rescue you from a lot of anti-Semitic thought and wrong thought. Um, so many people, before they understand this reality, they say things like, well, I don't have the circumcision of the flesh because we don't even need that anymore which is completely false. 
Um, instead, I have the circumcision of the heart. So we're going to explore that in just a moment and ask the question, do we? Because we're going to find out that, in fact, uh, not so much. Um, not from that point of view. So let's, let's uh, look at a few comments here. So first and foremost, in the Art Scroll Humash, it says, After the fearsome warnings of what will befall the nation, when it is disloyal to God, the Torah turns to the eventual benevolence that God will shower upon his people when they repent, when we make teshuva. So it says, Ramban, Ramban, excuse me, notes that these promises have not been fulfilled as of yet. They will come about in the Messianic times, in the Messianic future. So it says this passage is, in effect, a commandment to repent. But it is phrased not in the imperative form, but in the ordinary future tense, because God wanted it to be an assurance to beleaguered Jews that sooner or later they will repent and be redeemed. So we learn from this insight uh and really, I'm going, to, I'm going to call it a reminder because it's not necessarily profound. And that is that we are commanded to repent. This is what, in fact, Yeshua did when he went around and said, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is near, for the kingdom of God is, uh, is at hand. We are commanded to repent. And the reality is that sooner or later, we are all going to make teshuva. And it's better for us to do it sooner rather than later. The reality is, is all of us are going to be walking the path of Torah. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what the prophets taught. This is what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 3. He said, at verse 2 and 3, all the world, the entire world is going to come to Jerusalem and they are going to learn about the law of God from Mount Zion, Mount Moriah. They're going to walk in the ways of of Hashem's path. We say this every time. We, we say part of that verse every time we bring the Torah out at our, uh, at, at our procession uh, on, on Shabbat. In fact, those words are uh, embroidered in Hebrew on the actual uh, velvet cover of the Torah scroll itself, that my, the, 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 the word of God will go forth from Jerusalem, that the Torah will go forth from Zion, etc. You know, and, and that, that all the nations will come and learn from it, will glean from it, will embrace it. Sooner or later, this is going to happen. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That is not just a confession that God is God because God without his commandments would not be God at all. Just like a king without a kingdom is not a king, a king without subjects is not a king. You can't say that God is king of my life, but I don't follow him. In the same way, you can't say that God is God if he doesn't have any commandments. Because what would be the point? So, so repentance is a commandment. We are, we are commanded to repent. Again, not necessarily a profound statement, but it's something that we have to say, huh, I wonder if uh, we need to think about that for a moment. It's not an option. It's not optional for us. So it says in, ver, in, in uh, the commentary here in the Art Scroll Chumash to verse 1, it says, Habaracha um, hakalala, the blessing and the curse. So it says a broad view of Jewish history will show that allegiance to God brought uh, blessing and sinful behavior brought curses. At some point, Jews will realize that, and when they do, they will return to God and earn his mercy. You know, this is uh, 
It's just so simple, isn't it? I mean, when we obey God, we have blessing, and when we don't, we have curses, and so therefore, obey God. It's such a simple statement, and, and so why is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult to drag people sometimes, it feels like it anyway, across the finish line of Torah when, when they see that obedience leads to blessing and disobedience leads to cursing? And think about this for a moment. I, I bet if you were talking to your Christian friends or conservative friends, maybe they're not religious, maybe they're conservative, whatever, and they appreciate Jews and Judaism. They look at Israel, for instance, and they say, wow, look at the miracles that God has done for Israel. Look at the miracles that God has done for Jewish people. Look look at how many Jewish people, even though we're, we're, we are a fraction of the, of the world's population, and yet we're on the Fortune 500, we're on the, uh, what do you call it, the Pulitzer Prize, not Pulitzer Prize, but um, anyway, I can't even think of all of a sudden. All the, all the different awards, right? We've, we've invented all these different things, all these different miracles. Why? Because of Torah, right? Because of, of our relationship with God. And so you're looking at all the blessing, right, and all the miracles. Nobel Prize, thank you, Elizabeth. Nobel Prize, that's what I was trying to think of. Looking at all these things... And yet you would look at that and say, but I don't want to be that. It doesn't make any sense at all. Isn't it true that if you want to be a successful realtor, for instance, that you would go to a conference where a successful realtor is telling you how to be a successful realtor? Would you go, if you wanted to be a successful realtor, would you go to a conference where somebody was a complete uh, failure in life and had never actually sold any real estate whatsoever, had no idea how to complete the forms? Would you go and listen to them? Of course not. You would go and you'd try to find somebody, the, the Donald Trumps of the world, who know what they're talking about. And then this goes for any, pick your industry. You're going to go there and listen to somebody who's an expert on what they do. If you wanted to learn how to be an a engineer on the space shuttle, would you go to a plumber's convention? Of course not. You want to go somewhere where they know what they're talking about. So why is it that we just would not look at what leads to success and do it? You know, God said to Joshua, he said, listen, Joshua, Moses is dead, and so I want you to continue in the same vein of Moses. That's what he said in in Joshua chapter 1. He said, do not turn from the Torah to the right or to the left. Why? He said, so that you can have success, say it with me, in all that you do. And all that, say all, all, all that you do. God wants us to be successful, not just spiritually, but he wants us to be successful in all that we do. This includes relationships, it includes our business, it includes life, it includes everything. So it's, it's just so simple. Obedience leads to blessing, and we just have to internalize that. <clears throat> now, there's an insight here from the, from the Gutnik Chumash, and let me just read this because what is the number one barrier with respect to Yeshua being the Messiah to we Jews, to Jewish people, right? It eludes great theological scholars and thinkers. It's really, really phenomenal to me that it does because it's so utterly simple. And here, here it is. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> me, 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 me. Okay, it says... The true test of events 
to see is that they herald the, the geula, the redemption, whether they do or not. It says, it's to see whether there has been an essential change in the causes which have brought about the geula, that is the exile in the first place, namely, a new tendency in the direction of a stronger adherence to Torah and mitzvot. So from a Jewish point of view, the reason we are in exile to begin with is because we, are not, we, we, we were not obedient to God's law. In fact, that's what God said, right? That's what we've been reading that for the last several days. God says, when you are not obedient to this Torah that I'm commanding you today to keep, then you're going to go into exile. It's really that simple. Disobedience leads to, to, to cursing. So therefore, if we got here because we got off the path, the answer is to, to get out of here is to get back to the path. Not to create a new path. Not to try to go in a different direction. Going in a different direction is how we got here to begin with. Okay? So it says, It's been aptly explained in the written and oral Torah that the Geula will come through the Melech HaMoshiach, that is the Messianic King, as Rambam has declared. Now listen to this, if you will. This is Rambam. He says, And when a king of the house of David will arrive dedicated to the study of the Torah and the observance of the mitzvot, like his father David. What did we learn about David? David was a man after God's own heart, right? David wrote many of the Psalms. One of the Psalms that he wrote, which is perhaps the most important, is Psalm 119, which is the longest Psalm. What is 119 all about? If you read Psalm 119, it is all about God's Torah, the law of Moses, and how much he loved it, how much he appreciated it, how much he wanted more of it, how much he, he, he wanted God to keep him on it, and how he told God that his, his law is eternal and will never, ever, 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 ever go away. Why? Because it's not bound by time because it created time. I said that yesterday. And yet God says, I want you to look at David, who is a man after my own heart. In other words, he, he loves what I love, he understands what I understand, and he gets it. And so when the Messiah comes, he's going to be like David, meaning what? He's going to love God with his whole heart and follow his Torah. So this is what Brambaum is saying. He's saying that the Messianic king is going to be that kind of person. And he says that he will compel, compel, encourage, inspire, teach, all Jews to walk in and strengthen themselves in Torah and he will fight the wars of God, etc. And he'll teach the Jewish people to study the Torah, to, to build fences around the Torah, etc. And, uh, and this will be his legacy, basically. So it says, in order to get out of exile, Torah and mitzvot, are the way out, is what he says essentially here, and that when we begin to repent and return to God's laws, this will be the prelude for the preparation of the Geula, the preparation of redemption. So the bottom line is this, that the number one barrier to our uh, we Jewish people not believing in the Messiah, now clearly we, we Lapid Jews, do, obvi that's obvious, but I'm talking about just collectively as Jewish people. The, the number one barrier has been the message that 
The Messiah came to take us away from the Torah. Now, there's been some in the Messianic world who, who have said, to try to offset this, they've said, well, you know, we're not saying that uh, a, a Jew can't be a Jew. In fact, we encourage Jews to, to live Jewishly. What does that even mean? Because people that, that are leaders in that denomination of Christianity don't live Jewishly. And so that's not the standard either. The standard is not that you can do what you want to do. If you want to be Jewish, that's great. If you don't, that's great too. That's not the standard either. So on the one hand, you have the standard that says, don't be Jewish, don't keep the Torah. It's really, really, really bad. Then you have a standard that is, well, if you want to, that's great. Torah is for today, I guess, if you want it to be. But if you don't want to be, that's fine too. Then you have, of course... Uh, a, a little bit more of extreme where it says if you're if you're born of this bloodline you you should if you're born of that bloodline you shouldn't etc 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 neither not never should the two meet none of that is the standard the standard is when the messiah comes he compels the jewish people to keep the torah in other words he does what all the other prophets did that his message consistent with the message of god so Let's go back to, uh, to two, more, two more thoughts here, because I want to get to the circumcision part. Um, it says, Veshav Adonai. Veshav Adonai in verse, what is this, verse uh, 4? That God will bring us back. So it says in the commentary, <coughs> pardon me, the, the better word for bring back is Vehashiv. So the word Vashav means literally that God will return with your captivity. So this is what the Torah is actually saying, that when I bring you back, I'll be bringing ba you back with me. What? This teaches, that, that Humash says, this implies that God himself, as it were, was in exile and will return from exile together with the Jewish people. From this, the sages derive that when Israel is dispersed, God's presence goes with them. This comes from the Talmud, Megillah 29a. So in other words, this is exactly what Yeshua said. This is exactly what Yeshua taught. Yeshua said that I go with you even to the ends of the earth. And so the Torah is saying that when we come back from exile, it will be that Hashem is returning with us. And it, it, there's another insight here that says that, in fact, it, the reason he's gone with us is because it's actually him who's bringing us back. This is why we at Lapid Judaism understand the reality we're talking here about a divine Messiah because a human being can't accomplish this. It can only be accomplished by a divine Messiah. Now, again, going to the next sentence, which is, as I said earlier, actually a part of uh, the fifth Aliyah, but, but we read it about the circumcision of the heart. Incidentally, Balhaturim. Well, let me read this first, and then we'll go to Balhaturim. So it says in verse 6, where is verse 6? You know what? I was wrong. Verse 6 is a part of this reading. My apologies. Verse 7 begins the fifth Aliyah. So verse 6 says, et levavka ve'et... Levav Zareka 
Lehava et Arnai el Heka be Kolevavka Uvukonavshiku Lemaancha Yeheka. So it says, once you repent, God will help you by what? Circumcising your heart. Right? This is what the verse says. Adonai your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring to love Adonai your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, that you may live. So he says, meaning that he will help you overcome the hurdles that the evil inclination always place in your way. Unlike the physical foreskin, which must be removed by people, God will remove the spiritual impediment to total repentance. That's Ibn Ezra. So the circumcision of the heart means that... God is going to remove from us that barrier that prevents us from following his Torah. Very important. That's what circumcision of the heart means. It means that he's removing from us that evil inclination, that drive that says, I know your word says this, but I say no. God forbid. So the comment continues, says, the divine assistance follows the principle that if one comes to purify himself, he is assisted by God. That is also in the Talmud, Shabbos 104a. That, my friends, is where the old adage comes from that our grandmothers said when they said, God helps those who help themselves. People have said for years, that's not in the Bible. They're right. It's in the Talmud. God helps those who help themselves is in the Talmud. This is what it's saying is, is that when we circumcise the flesh, he comes along and helps us circumcise the heart. But you can't say, well, God is circumcised my heart, but I don't circumcise my flesh. Why? Because circumcision is a commandment. So if we refuse to, circum- to, to fulfill circumcision, we are, by definition, refusing the commandments of God, which is the whole problem. Right? Isn't it interesting that in Africa, the number one the way in which they fight HIV is by circumcising males? I mean, I know it's not about physical things like that. We're talking about a spiritual practice here. But, but can we just stop for a second and say, hmm, isn't that interesting? We can't defeat HIV with modern medicine, but we can do it with a spiritual act of cutting off the flesh of the foreskin. Wow. So it says... And the profound change implied by those verts will occur with the coming of the Messiah. Throughout history, it says, people struggle with conflicting desires to do good and evil so that they can earn reward for the right choice and punishment for the wrong one. The foreskin is the spiritual barrier that prevents goodness from dominating the Jewish heart. After the final redemption, however, man's natural inclination will be only to do good. The circumcision of this verse is the removal from humanity of the natural desire to sin. Okay, so the question becomes, what is sin? The answer, biblically, is sin is violation of God's holy law, a.k.a. his Torah, the law of Moses, the law of God, etc. That's sin. That is the definition of sin. If, if you have any other, I'm just going to say this bluntly and kindly. If you have any other definition of sin other than that is the wrong definition. Sin is not hurting God's feelings. Sin is not doing what, uh, whatever, whatever. Sin is breaking God's law, period. That's what the Bible teaches. And it even says that in uh, John's epistle. 
says it plainly. Okay? That's number one. So therefore, if one desires to break Torah, can they claim to have the circumcision of the heart? If the circumcision of the heart means that the desire for sin is removed, then if someone is saying to you, listen, I don't believe in following the Torah at all. I, I, I think that was for yesteryear. Um, and besides, I don't need the circumcision of the flesh because God has circumcised my heart. We've just learned that that means that the barrier to following God's law is removed. So you understand? So if someone is saying, I don't want to follow God's law, but I have the circumcision of the heart, they are confused. They have neither. That's what we have to understand. And uh, that will not ring beautiful in the sound of many ears, but truth is not meant necessarily to be something that we all jump and shout for joy about. Sometimes what we have to learn about ourselves and what we believe is true, but not always pleasant. So, let's see here. Just to, to uh, add a, another insight to this. It says that when, when we have the circumcision, right, um, that we will love God with our whole heart. Now, I'm going to come back to an insight here in just a second, but let me just read this. It says, the only other time, this is from uh, Rabbi Monk's commentary, the only other time that the Torah mentions the word circumcise is in connection with the physical act of circumcision, which, by the way, is a commandment. It's not an option. God said, circumcise your sons. He didn't say, if you want to. It says, this indicates that physical circumcision is considered only the beginning. When the infant matures, the physical circumcision will be followed by the moral circumcision of his base instincts and evil inclination, right? Of course. It says, Ramban states that our verse will only be realized in the time of the Messiah when Hashem will remove the foreskin of our hearts, thereby liberating us from the incessant temptation to stray from good. Our present vacillations between good and evil dates back to the failure of Adam to resist temptation. Since then, we are engaged in a constant struggle between the conflicting desires to do good or evil so that we can earn reward for doing what is right and punishment for wrong. At the end of times, when the separation between good and evil will be removed, we will become naturally pure, as the prophet says in Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will place in you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will, I will put inside of you. It also goes on to say there that I will cause you to walk in my commandments. All right, one last thing, and we're going to wrap it up. I mentioned Baal terms. So I didn't want to leave without quoting. The Baal writes that the first letters of the, of the words et levavka, ve'et levav, God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your children, spell the word Elul, like the month, the final month of the Jewish, new, uh, Jewish year, in which one rises early in the morning to, to recite Selechot. And from this it follows that according to the Baal the predominant theme of the month of Elul is Teshuva. So God wants us to circumcise our hearts at this time 
and return to him. We are out of time, but not out of content. So much more to share. This is the end of our Aliyah today, but I pray that you will be with me uh, tomorrow as we explore the fifth Aliyah, and we have much more to share and, and, and comment on as well. Be sure and subscribe to the channel. Be sure and like the video. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the Sar Shalom Synagogue YouTube channel, please do that as well. We're just a little shy of a thousand over there, and, and that would be great to reach that goal this week. Until then, have a great day. Be blessed. Uh, be joyful, and we'll see everybody with God's help tomorrow. Shalom, shalom.